Hey everyone and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from Andy Z. I'm Adam, y'all. Listen, Adam, I was born in Lexington, uh, so <laughs> your Kentucky accent is actually a hurtful stereotype. <laughs> uh, I wasn't going to keep it going. Um, I'm very happy. I'm Zach. <laughs> I'm Adam. Come on. I could say y'all. Um, my old Kentucky home is not something for you to make fun of, Adam. <laughs> oh, w- are you sure? Because these characters we're going to talk about today, these Guthries, uh, they sure make it easy to make fun of them. <laughs> they do. And in fact, today, folks, we are, we are talking about the Guthries, specifically the lesser Guthries. Um... <laughs> This, yeah, this is name them not, all. <laughs> can you? I know you looked this up. I want to do it from memory. I want to try. Right. Do you have the okay. Do you have the actual list of Guthries? Because I did not look this up ahead of time. Yes, I I have the list of the Guthries uh, in in front. Uh, what do you want to start with? The parents or the kids? Uh, it's Ma Guthrie, who technically has a first name, but she's Ma Guthrie in Zebulon. Um, yes, Zeb. Thomas Thomas Zebulon Guthrie and Lucinda Guthrie. Lucinda, and then let's see, I should have known that. Let's it's, see how many kids okay. you can name. So you got Sam, ding. You've got Paige. You've ding. got. You've got Jay, who also has a different name that I'm forgetting. He has two names. Uh, Josh. His name's Jay and Josh. Ding. Josh Jay is a nickname. Uh, Melody, ding. Uh, Jolene. Joel, but I'll give Joel, it to you. Joel, excuse me. Uh, there's a Jebediah, right? Yes, a Jeb Sting. <laughs> this is where it gets tough. Then there are there are two twins, and I don't know their name. Tw- two twin boys, and I think there's a younger sister as well. And I don't know any of their names. Okay. Elizabeth? Is there an Elizabeth Guthrie? There's an Elizabeth, there's a Lewis, a sissy, an unnamed... Uh, uh is it a daughter or a son and then this issue one of the things we're going to talk about today does feature a child which is adopted by the guthrie oh yeah ray jr ray jr (laughs) so altogether i think there's 10 children and none of them Um, are technically named woody or arlo or jethro so zach you did that very well lewis lewis guthrie i don't know him is lewis uh jeb's twin I couldn't tell you who the twins are, uh, and that's largely Lewis, because Lewis is the one. Lewis is the one that Dark Beast uh, injected oh, with. Right, Jesus. Lewis is the one that Dark Forgot Beast injected with mutant poison, just to see what would happen. Listen, in your defense, uh, once you get past a certain point on the Guthrie scale, like you're not supposed to know their names. There's just a ton of them. And they're all living in this one house, and God knows where they sleep, but... Jeb is um, the other twin. Jeb is the other twin. I just looked it up. Okay. I know nothing about Sissy Guthrie. That's probably Or Lizzie Guthrie. Wait. 
Lizzie, did she have something happen? No, she has I don't not. Think, at least nope, not to has, my knowledge. She has done. She was in. She was in uh, Age of Apocalypse. Um, oh, she in the CB Sabolski Age of Apocalypse. Right. That's okay. what Liz Guthrie has done. So Sissy was, Guthrie has done nothing, but not in the six one six. Not in the 616. We're not even talking about that story. We got a good story first. We're, we we're do. starting this one off real well and then going way downhill. All right, so uh, who requested this uh, This first in our trio of Guthrie stories? Uh, the first in this trio of Guthrie stories came to us from Patreon supporter Alexander Lundquist. Alexander went on over to patreon.com slash Battle of the Atom and said, Folks... I know it's fairly recent, but I would like you to talk about life death. I'm just kidding. That is the name of it, but that's just Hickman playing with uh, the concept of the high concept of the story being there once was a woman who could fly. Uh, this is the Crucible. It's yeah, X-Men I think everybody, volume five, number seven. Yeah, everybody calls this issue the Crucible for good reason. Crucible today it is the introduction of the concept of the Crucible. Uh, despite the the issue's clever title. And uh, Hickman is backed up here with a pretty amazing art here from Lenniel Francis Yu and colors by Sonny Go. I believe this is the first issue uh, that Lenniel Francis Yu uh, drew after the uh, early death of uh, Jerry Alguin, uh, his oh, ink- longtime yeah. inker. Hmm. That's so sad. It's a good issue. He was it a good anchor, but this is also a good issue. Yeah. Uh, we start off on the moon at the Summer's house, and Cyclops is sort of uh, talking slash flirting with uh, Logan, which is nice. They both woke up early, and, well, Logan couldn't sleep. Uh, and they're having coffee and looking out on the Earth and talking about the Crucible. And I think this issue does a really really good job building up a sense of dread towards the crucible. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's it's an un it's a mystery. It and Hickman builds up to the mystery of what it is and the reveal. And what he cleverly does is mixes that sense of dread with, you know, up until the reveal with a mix of discomfort and hope in this issue and it's such a weird pairing and i've seen so many people have so many different reactions to it because it's an incredibly complex comic in terms of what it's trying to do emotionally how it's trying to impact the reader and just from dumb superhero side, what it means to comics and to the X-Men to have uh, gladiatorial combat uh, for non-mutants to earn their place back in mutantdom. Yeah, uh, it is simultaneously like a very, very bold conceptual uh, idea. And then it's also just like, 
some like symbolically this could mean so much to so many people i think that's what's interesting about it so i did skip a scene we don't start with with scott and and wolverine we we start with uh one of the guthries uh melody formerly known as arrow uh who was depowered during m day wakes up um in the academos habitat and is told hey you want to do the crucible today you can um not just do you want to it's the first crucible right it it is the first they've never done this before but the concept has been agreed upon by we as we learn um by the quiet council and the you were talking about the slow reveal and the emotions the the sort of for for people who have or fans of the movie midsomar uh this this simultaneous feeling of sort of joy and like creepy disgust that happens in this issue is really smart. Um, but the, the slow reveal as uh, Cyclops gets into a philosophical slash quasi religious conversation with Kurt Wagner uh, as they go and then attend um, the crucible. It's fantastic. It's fascinating because it's a, it's interesting because it's a discussion of religion for two men who have recently come back from the dead. Uh, it's a it's a discussion of ethics in a world of, you know, what does it mean to kill somebody who you can bring back from the dead? Because that's a that's a that's a very different level of doing harm than uh, if I were to say, kill the scroll that was in my closet. It's different. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh at that somber thing, but uh, you bring up a good point. You know, the, they're starting to um, hash out the ethics of what this scenario really means. Because, and, you know, both... Yeah, go. And they're trying to hash out the practicality of we got a lot of mutants that want their power back. And frankly... We only have five people who can do that, and they need to sleep at some point. <laughs> yeah, are we really going to have Cyclops out? I mean, Cyclops, Apocalypse out here every day just chopping people down, and we're going to have these giant ceremonies for all these depowered people? Uh, you know, the the mechanics of it, the politics of it, all of it is mixed into this conversation. And all the while we are getting prepared for, and then we actually see this battle, which is very striking between when we realize that it's going to be apocalypse. Who's just this enormous figure. And the way that melody is drawn as this very petite minuscule human being. Melody has a, has a small sword that is Mm -hmm. shaped like, uh, the mysterious tower that Kurt Kurt Wagner finds, right? Uh, Which nobody can get a, into except him, right? He's made it his house now, right? Um, and Apocalypse just got a big old bastard sword. He's yeah. got a. He's standing there, and he's Apocalypse, and he's dressed in his supervillain costume, and he's taunting her for being a human. But he's also pushing her to sacrifice herself for mutant kind so that her old self can die and her new self can be reborn into a more perfect body. The body that was stolen from her by the pretender Wanda Maximoff. Also introduced in this issue, 
the concept of the Great Pretender, which is fascinating. Well, no, that the no, that concept no, was, that was introduced in Hotspox. But but it's reasserted, excuse me, um, during the conversation with uh, Exodus by the fire with the children, which is they, there's that adds to the spooky quality of this issue, I think. Because he's telling um, a ghost story. Yeah. Yes. That's all that's happening um, is Hickman's like, how can I make this spooky? Exodus can tell a ghost story. It's and it's very effective, uh, you know, especially with it being around the campfire and the, the heavy contrast inks. And the, the battle itself is also just it's not just the conversation that is driving the sort of mixed emotions about what's happening here. We're also seeing the reactions of the audience. We're seeing the other Guthrie's freak out as uh, Melody nears the end of this fight. And, um, you know, at a certain point we see Xavier hold his hand up to, uh, you know, his Cerebro helmet. What are we seeing there? Are we seeing him release her from pain? Are we seeing him just back her up? Like, uh, you know, back up her, her quote unquote soul. What is a soul? Kurt and, and Cyclops have a conversation about, well, if we're back and we're feeling better than ever, where did our souls go? Um, but it Are all we the same person? Does it matter? Right. And does it matter? Um, and what does this mean for us as a people? And it all culminates in this absolutely beautiful conclusion with Arrow being reborn and taking to the sky again. It's gorgeous. When that happens the fight is brutal i mean on one hand on a very practical sense this is apocalypse who's like seven and a half feet tall with a big old sword beating up on like a five foot nothing girl and it's violent and it's brutally violent and yet it's contrasted with him pushing her coaching her to be a protector of mutant kind. Yeah. I mean, he straight up says, oh, Guthrie, that's a powerful name. And she tries to say her mutant name. And he will not allow her because mm-hmm. she has not earned the right to join his ranks as a mutant. She is not one of the fittest. Uh, and that's a very apocalypse stance to take. And yet this is something that she wants. She wants to be whole again. She knows that there is something missing Something that was taken from her. And she has to find a way to get it back. And this is the way that she can get it back. So she's going for it, no matter what the cost. And there's something hauntingly beautiful with all of that. Because at the end of this, all of the violence, all the bloodshed, all of this, the result is that she is who she always wanted to be. In Apocalypse helped her get there and that's a powerful message in the middle of a very messed up concept of let's have ritual murder um i think this came out pretty soon before we were at c2e2 and i remember was the week we went to c2e2 it came out wednesday our first day there was friday yeah and all of us were talking about this issue we were talking about what it could mean we were talking about what it could symbolize. We were talking about what it could, uh, you know, push forward in terms of what it meant. And I think overall what this issue does, and it, if I'm being critical, it's not necessarily of this issue, but it's of 
I think one of the things that, that perhaps this era lacks is that we get certain highs like this that are setting things up and it's very difficult to then continue to push the envelope and and think about what else the consequences of this society could be because i think that's what this issue does very well but as i think we've seen with the first couple issues of way of x even in somebody else's hands or even as a conversation as a group um i'm curious like how we can keep pushing because what what makes this era special i think is things like this that are that are challenging but are yes. also really smart and interesting about um what could be unique and what could be special about these characters in this time in this setting that no one else has ever done and where can we take it you know so i i love this issue i do too it rules it's it's such a good issue the hook at the end where Kurt says, I think I need to start a religion. Mm. I mean, he's building a religion and he's building it bigger. And I I wish that Way of X would focus more on that mm. than whatever weird social commentary it's doing. Because I would be interested in seeing what a mutant religion really looks like because i have a lot of thoughts on religion and turns out jonathan hickman also has a lot of thoughts on like cosmology and how the spiritual aspects that religion speaks about play into stories and it's very well executed here this is one of the best x-men stories since house of x powers of 10 it's definitely if it's not if it's not the best since then it's right up there this is something special it's something that will be a cornerstone issue of x-men for years to come uh linnell francis you absolutely destroys it on art he can be stiff sometimes he can be unemotive sometimes not here he's given it his Mm -hmm. all and it it shows so much this is a good issue of comics it is Uh, in the lost in the lost jerry duggan recordings we had mentioned that we were going to do this one i'm just i mean it was on the record we just no longer have the record and jerry said something to the effect of interrupting us and saying oh yeah that story rules that's one of the best ones right like (laughs) that one's so good they did they did so good on that one (laughs) Yeah, he was not willing to uh, uh, brook much criticism on that. So uh, in the spirit of Jerry's joy there, um, we should rank this on our big old list. We do. We have a big old list of uh, 519 X-Men stories ranked from best to worst. Uh, House of X, Powers of 10 is at number one. Number 100 on this list is uh, the Pizza Hut X-Men. Uh <laughs> That's the X-Men that you can get at Pizza Hut, but the full-size ones, not the mini-comics. Uh, mm-hmm. Extraordinary X-Men Kingdom's Fall is at 200. At 300 on this big old list is Generation X 8 and 9, What Happened to Cassidy Keep. Uh, number 400 on this list is All New X-Men 4 to 7, where they go to Paris. 
Number 500 on this list is the Sisterhood arc of Fractions and Lands X-Men. And then the Dracos down there all the way at the, the little bitty bottom. Yeah, and I, I, I think later in this episode we might get towards the bottom. But frankly, I am uh, thinking this is a top 25 story. Number 25 is the X-Factor Fall of the Mutants. It's an apocalypse story and it's not as good as this. Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the the compliments that we can give this is it's taking things that came before it and, you know, making it evolve. So um, I'm looking up the list and I see you slowly scrolling up it as well. But I mean, I'm willing to say I think this might be a top 10 story. At 10, we have Riot at Xavier's and above that is E E is for Extinction. I I think this is better than both of those. I think those are better than this. I, okay. I hear I hear what you're saying. I I would look just slightly below because I think I think this is a salt these are this is an incredibly good single issue. Uh but I think the advantage that E is for Extinction or Riot at Xavier's has is that they feel sustentative and like a bigger, better overall story. Uh that just being one issue this can't do what i would what i would yeah here's what here's where i would look i'm not looking too much farther down because i had highlighted 19 the passion of scott summers from uncanny x-men volume 2 number 19 which is my favorite x-men story which i have said yes i think this is a better x-men story than that i think the crucible is better i i think as far as single issues go, this is better than the New Mutant Slumber Party. This is better than that issue where Colossus and Juggernaut have a bar fight with a bar. I would say this is better than Worst X-Man ever. And then and at 11, I would, we have Generation Next. Um, we, have, we, have a, we have a Paige Guthrie story in Generation Next. I would say this is probably better than Generation Next, isn't it? If I was going to just rank this on my own, I would stop. My cap would be Wolverine Volume 1, 1 to 4. I think that's probably not as good I as would well. stop. I would say, then let's go above Generation Next before those new... Mm. No, Riot and, Xavier's is good. Riot my Xavier's argument for this. Good. Is it... It's not... It's it's doing something similar to what we, we kind of uh, expected. Well, we didn't expect, but... Then we had Morrison do at the time, right? Was sort of reinvent the franchise, do something brand new. But I would argue that regardless of what Morrison was doing with Quietly or not, what Hickman is doing with this issue is far more challenging and and far more thought-provoking than almost anything that Grant Morrison did with New X-Men. Uh, he's pushing the character... Morrison was pushing the characters in new directions, both visually and and in terms of what they were up against. But this is like a fundamental shift in what X-Men is even about, I feel like. I would if, I would, if I it's would taken argue, seriously. I would argue that Morrison and Quietly, specifically in Eas for Extinction, were making just as big and significant of a statement of what X-Men is about sure. as at the time in 2001 as mm-hmm. House of X Powers of 10 did in 2019 and that the Crucible continued in 2020. Mm-hmm. I would say if we're looking at that as a as a barometer this 
probably says more than Riot at Xavier's does. And I am willing to split up those two new X-Men stories and put Crucible as the number 10. All right. Sounds like a deal. I'm going to have to edit the, like, the hard part to edit on this freaking list now. <laughs> Why is it hard to the edit? The top 10's all special. And now we've we've kicked one out and we're replacing oh, it with the Crucible. Yeah. Oh, well, don't worry. We're not going to do it again this episode. <laughs> we aren't. We aren't. Yeah, the rest of the stories that we're going to talk about this episode aren't, I'm, I feel safe to say, aren't top 10 material. Um, <laughs> no, but I, I actually weird. do like this next one. Um, which is an annual. I don't dislike this next one. <laughs> I don't know if I'm willing to say I like it. Okay. Uh, it's an annual from 1995. Mm-hmm. Uncanny X-Men annual. Uh, it's the 19th Uncanny X-Men annual for those counting along at home. Yeah, they stopped numbering uh, them at and... some point, which is annoying on Marvel Unlimited because you got to look up Uncanny X-Men annual and then look at the year. Because it's got its own separate listing. Honestly, I here's the thing, though. I think all annuals should actually just be by year. I think that would be way better. I guess. I mean, maybe that should just be their number. Then they should never have numbered them in the first place. But this is Uncanny X-Men. I agree. Annual 95. Yep. Uh, written by Terry Kavanaugh. Uh, with art by Brian Hitch and Bob McLeod. Uh Glennis Oliver does the colors here. Um, and this is a Jolie Guthrie story. Is it Jolie or Joelle? Is it Jolie? Joelle. I'm sorry. I keep thinking of Jolene. Jolene. <laughs> Jolene. Jolene. <laughs> well, uh, like uh, I'm Joel- begging for you. Please don't take my man. <laughs> Joel is one of the unsung Guthrie children who I don't remember before this issue, um, but has gone off and joined humanity's last stand um, because she is um, having a relationship with a character named the preacher who is having visions and is visualizing photos or paintings or something uh, from the age of apocalypse. And he is scared out of his mind. Never actually well. The fact that that's happening is never actually well addressed here. It's implied um, through the visuals. Yeah, he uh, he just sees like he sees the weird monsters from Next Gen. He sees the stuff from Age of Apocalypse. He sees Bishop and is like, "You've seen it too. Right. You know what's going to happen." Yeah. But unfortunately, he's not. The age of apocalypse works. (laughs) But fortunately, um, he is not in the age of apocalypse. Unfortunately, he his work is sort of being used as propaganda by a group who is led by a shadowy Trask, which is sort of unclear in this issue. Um, But his name's uh, is is are you talking about Simon Trask? I think it's Simon, but I don't know if they ever say that. Bolivar's brother. Okay. Um, but, yeah. uh, Sam and, and, uh, Paige have, have come home to visit the Guthries. They've brought along Storm, Wolverine and Bishop. And, uh, because Joel has gone off to, you know, basically join this, I don't know what it is. It's sort of like a 
techno cult of some kind. It's a um, cult. Yeah. It's a, it's a cult. <laughs> they, uh, they go and check it out. And of course, what's a cult without some giant robotic outfits that can kick mutant butt and fighting ensues. Yeah. They say it's Nimrod technology. Um, but it's really not. Yeah. I don't know why they think that, but they, they, the outfits are kind of pink. They're fuchsia, right? Like they are sentinel colored outfits. Uh, here's the thing about people keep trying to put people inside of sentinels. Uh, but that seems like it would make the sentinel less effective. Not more. Have you met people? <laughs> We're bad at things. Um, and despite uh, Joel being there, I guess uh, Paige gets captured at some point, uh, you know. And then, you know, there's there's a lot of a lot of the fighting going on until they take down uh, humanity's last stand. And I, I guess they kind of walk away, uh, right? Into the yeah, sunset. they just kind of leave everything there, and they're like, "Man, this is someone else's problem now." Yeah, I hope I hope nobody I hope nobody in twenty years comes back and uses this. <laughs> They leave all their stuff there. So the the base collapses and all of their stuff's just in the rubble, I guess. Um, and I guess. A preacher's just gone back to regular painting. He's he's painting Joel when we see him last. No more Age of Apocalypse stuff. He's just vibing. Yeah. Just chilling. Just enjoying life. Yeah. I, I'll tell you, you, I, I like I, the artwork here. Brian Hitch uh, with Bob McLeod doing the inks here. Um I like the way he draws the characters. It's it's kind of a nice, uh, different style than than I'm used to. I'm I am so used to Brian Hitch with modern, more modern coloring, uh, and like the current way he gets inked. That it's always weird for me to look at like early '90s Brian Hitch and remember, oh, he really, really likes Alan Davis, doesn't he? That's all he wants to be is be Alan Davis. Yeah, it's which are so... great goals. It's so vividly different between like his contemporary work and what we're looking at here. Because when it start when the issue began, I was like, "Oh, Alan Davis did this issue," and I was like, "Oh, wait, no, mm. you know." And maybe it's just having Bob there to kind of like round the edges and not add like a bajillion hash, you know, marks everywhere. But it's uh, it's a really nice style combined with Glennis's colors here. It feels like a more of a, an '80s book. Luckily for Brian Hitch, uh, Bishop is wearing a bandana this whole time, so he doesn't even have to focus on his weakest elements. <laughs> Storm is also um, wearing a... She's got that X-Men Unlimited kind of look going on, you know, with the, the head... Yeah, you picked up on that, too! And, yeah, yeah, kind of doing that thing. He avoided it! <laughs> uh, if, if you don't know what we're alluding to, Brian Hitch... Uh, it was recently pointed out that he really struggles with doing black hairlines, uh, and that he reacted poorly to that. Oh. Which, if you react poorly to valid criticism that you know a lot, most people are taking as a joke on the internet, uh, then people are going to react worse to you. Yeah. Uh, Best to listen and say hey. We'll try something different next time, maybe. Uh, best best to go go jump over to do Venom with Rom V. Uh, <laughs> man, I am I cannot wait for a Rom V Venom book. Yeah. Um, prefer a different artist, but I'll survive. Um, 
so overall i think this is a pretty solid middle of the road adventure it's not super like exciting one way or the other we've seen groups like this in and out of x-men continuity this is not a major and or important one but it also doesn't feel as flighty as and in um consequential as some other annuals might you know it, it it does allow us to spend some time with the guthrie family and um i i enjoyed this midpoint of the list right now the absolute middlest x-men comic that we have is x-men the exterminated which is that uh hope story about how cable died i like that better yeah i would say so um just looking around um is it better than that time that omega red had a tiger i don't think it is oh that's tough yeah it's not as it's it's not as crazy out there as that you know what i mean but we're i feel like we're in the right place i don't i don't know if this is really a 300 story um well number 300 is x-force 45 and 50 where cable fights x-force i would say this is probably better than that yeah I don't think this is better than the first six issues of X-Men Evolution. No, so you're, that's you're, yeah, between you're probably right. 297 and 300. Um, I do think it's better than the... That's the Generation Hope 10 to 12 is the um, the arc with... Uh, schism tie uh, Schism, right? I think this is better than that. Um, that Neil Adams story where all the Sentinels fly into the sun... Yeah, I don't think it's as good Probably as that. Probably better. Yeah. So this now, was... that one that one a little racist, but very good artwork and if you just change that one weird slur from Cyclops, uh it's it's going to turn out all right. So this can be 299. Sounds good. And folks, if we uh went through that one a little quickly, it's just because there's not a lot to talk about and we have a lot to say about our third story. Um, Zach, is this the last of the Chuck Austin? Can we be done with Chuck Austin now? No, this is no, <laughs> no, oh, you fool. This is not the last of the Chuck Austin. This is, this is the last of, this is the last of the most infamous Chuck Austin stories, uh, that we will be covering on this program. And it is uncanny X-Men. 437 to 441, She Lies with Angels. I got a lot to say about this one. It is extraordinarily terrible. And uh, I feel like we got to we gotta start, like, I don't even know where to start. What, what do I start with? Do I start with the Hatfield and the McCoys uh, battle between the Guthries and the Cabots that is suddenly, like, erupting between two southern families in Kentucky? Do I start with the police officer who just wants a date with Ma Guthrie and is willing to just make up rules as he goes along? Am I starting with Ray Jr. and Zebediah teasing a friend to to, to tease a bully until they could just electrocute him? I mean, these are just the lighter, outer things on the story. Um, It's Jebediah, thank you very much. What did I say? Zebediah? You said Zebediah. I'm sorry. I should realize that if you're looking for a default first letter in the Guthrie family, it's J. It starts with a J. Um, all right, let's 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 get to the meat of this. Um, 
you know, people get really on this series because of the scene with uh, Angel and uh, Paige Guthrie having uh, sex in the air above Ma Guthrie. And um, I was expecting that to be the thing that, like, just haunted my nightmares. Um, strangely, that was not it. Uh, it was the... No, that's that's kind of a that's kind of a footnote. It is. It's it's still uncomfortable. It's still uh, completely like weird, um, and we should probably address it. But the core of this story is a grown man writing a story about two underage children falling in love when they were ten years old and becoming like sexually enamored with each other. Um. To pull a Romeo and Juliet by the end of it. And folks, this is bad. This is so bad. <laughs> I just Yeah, is it is it weird that is it weird that uh this is by Chuck the Truck. Uh Salvador Laoka does the art on this one. Uh Danny Miki Inks Udon does the colors. Is it weird that uh Chuckles the Truckles uh that Chuckles Austin decided to just wholesale take lines from Romeo and Juliet and put them in here? Is that... Is that... I'm just... I'm just saying. I'm sure he's not the first person to do such a thing. However... No. Neil Gaiman also would. But Neil Gaiman, as much as I want to make fun of him, is more competent than Chuck Austin when it comes to writing, and I don't think that's a controversial statement. Um, that is just... 100% true. This is garbage writing. Um, This is uh, a book where... uh, God. Like, I want to talk about this seriously, but it's just so bad. Like, there are these conversations supposedly happening between people that are just so out of control and ludicrous. Uh, um, Okay. How do I want to... I don't want to do this. Um... Um, can we start, can we start out with a good joke? Yeah, go, please. So, this is a story about, uh, Josh J. Guthrie. Right, not Josh, not Jay. Josh, um, Josh J. Well, he's Jay later. Right. Uh, Icarus, as he's later known. Mm. Um, he was a, he was a musician, uh, and previously, we knew that he was a musician, um, and then he later got wings, I guess? Right. They're real. They're real. Um, They're real. He got he got wings so that they could do this angel thing, which does make it weird when Paige bones down with an angel later in this series. It sure does. But Josh Jay Guthrie is is a uh, is a musician, and Adam, do you know what do you know what song he likes to play? What song does he like to play? She talks to angels. <laughs> Call them out by name. I think that's what I think that by the Black Crows was what was going through oh my God. Uh, Chuckles Austin's head <laughs> when he was writing this. Just she talks to angels on repeat. <laughs> it's definitely. I, I feel like there's also um, sort of an homage to just grunge rock and like Kurt Cobain going on here, and it's just all of it. It's just very distasteful um but the entire dressing room scene where jay josh 
Icarus is reunited with this girl who he claims is not seen for many years um, and that they fell in love when they were 10 and have been lusting after each other since they were 10. Uh, oh God. Like just Chuck, please don't. I, I don't want to hear this conversation uh, coming out of your typewriter. Like what is wrong with you? Um, then to have these awkward interactions between Ma Guthrie and Warren Worthington III, where she basically gives him like permission to go date, who at the time I think we all assumed was her underage daughter, and yet they like purposefully do the whole "well, she's nineteen" thing here in this story, and then actually go for it on well, it's off panel, but then we sort of see them intertwined, and ah, they don't like it. I do. I think it's funny as heck. It's bad. It's it's terrible. It shouldn't it shouldn't happen because they they do they do some cloud boning, uh, they do they do some cloud sex, uh, and and her clothes fall onto her mother, which is the worst thing. Oh my god. Um, but here's here's what I have grown to understand about the Chuck Austin run, and let me preface this by saying it's terrible. It's the Draco is the worst story on our list for a reason. The Chuck Austin run is one of the most entertaining train wrecks you can ever imagine. Because it's bad. And it's it goes past the like regular bad, goes past so bad it's good, goes back into regular bad, and then does a freaking slingshot maneuver into... Nothing about this is of quality, and I must consume it all. I guess. I heard this argument earlier today I've... that it's campy. And, you know, like Connor from uh, Cerebro and I were um, talking about this. I feel this, like camp. And I, I just. I feel like camp requires intent that is not here. I don't think that the self-awareness is there here. Like, Chuck does, as as I've noted in past criticisms of his work thinks that he is like writing some very heady stuff here i think you know by including uh a black man and his black son into this uh situation with a, a you know a, a cop abusing his power and in, in these cabots we haven't even gotten the fact that we mentioned the super suits from the uh humanity's last stand in the last story this Cabot folks just pick up three of them and then show up and start to like try and blow stuff up as if anybody remembered that annual story. They want to murder all the Guthries. For what? Yeah, that's weird. For what? We never learn He's why. already murdered. He's already murdered uh, Thomas Guthrie. You find out that he's the reason why Daddy Guthrie's dead. Right. And their uh, pets, right? Guy. Didn't he poison all their pets? Yes. And their livestock yes. or something? He literally kills puppies. Like... What is going on? He's not a... What is going on? Where did these characters come from? Why are they interesting? There's no reason... Nowhere! There's no reason for any they of them aren't. to be doing anything that they're doing. There's no reason for Chuck Austin to write the uh, romantic... The quote-unquote romantic stories in here, like, it, it, for any length or even to present them in any way in a romantic fashion. They, they, these shouldn't be character interactions that are happening. It, it just shouldn't and yet it, it's weird mm. it's we've weird. talked about this before 
why do the X-Men let any of this happen? There's literally the death of one... I don't know. They're just kind of vibing in this story. There is a, like, rocket or laser beam fired into a car that Nightcrawler, who also looks like he's, like, a kid again because Salvador LaRocca can't draw, uh, I guess teleports everybody out of the car (laughs) except for the one adult black man in this story. Chuck, what are you doing? What are you doing? Is it... Hey, it's bad that... Okay, let's 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 make two points that can exist in unison. It's good that Chuck Austin wanted to add diversity to Cumberland County and have a, you know, a black man who is dating Ma Guthrie. I think that is good and fine. I have no issue with that. I do think it's pretty bad that he exists in the story to die and be called slurs. I feel like that's bad. Thank you. I feel like I feel like, I feel like if you are, if you are going to, if you are going to use a character and try and get points for representation, you aren't allowed to get those points if you only use them to prop up other characters and to be like, racism. Like, that's, we all are generally aware of America's long and terrible history with slavery and racism specifically against black people. I don't need my X-Men comic to only have a black person in there to tell me that, hey, everything's racist. Maybe give this person something to do in this entire story instead of being murdered and yelled at by racists. Yeah. I think that's not a great story choice. Chuck off. No. And it, you know, when you pair all of this stuff with like creepy age of consent type storytelling, which I just, I don't have the patience for and Salvador LaRocca's artwork, which is just absolutely terrible. It is awful. It is a whole bunch of close-ups on faces that just look like that. Oh God, it's painful to read this. Like, I know you're like, oh, it's, it's, it's so bad it's good and then it goes past that and then it's the you know it's like this the the car accident that I, you can't take your eyes off i, think I can't that's misinterpreting i can't be rubbernecking this story i'm reading it and i'm like don't anyone ever read this again just get rid of it take it off oh of no Marvel i feel like it. everyone needs to read Ugh. no 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 everyone needs to read the chuck austin run of x-men so they can understand that no matter what criticisms Invalid uh, criticisms you have of today's books. Um, listen, folks, folks. This is the worst. To be way worse. This is the worst. This is bad. Yeah. This is. Is it the worst Chuck Austin story? No. Is it the third worst Chuck Austin story? I think yes. All right. I think we've. Oh, can we mention one more thing? Because we were mentioning Salvador La Roca. Yes, please. <laughs> Well, there's two things, and one of these I don't believe would be in LaRocca's ballpark. Uh, it's that the colors look like someone used a brightness filter on Instagram and put them all the way up so everything's washed yep. out. Uh, and number two, so we mentioned, and this is the only reason we are aware where they got these robot suits is because we literally just read the story before it. Yeah. Uh, the annual from 10 years before. They don't look anything um, like those suits, by the way. It's shocking that Salvador LaRocca did not take the opportunity to trace those suits and instead made them up whole cloth. I think 
I think that's just wildly out of character. <laughs> oh, dead on. All right. Is this joke? Is this is this podcast incomprehensible to people who aren't like not just read comics, but kind of deep in the subculture of comics, and particularly this particular subculture that does like to make fun of all of the dumb comic book drama? Because I feel like. I feel like so much of our references in this episode alone have been to dumb stuff that comic book people have done on Twitter. Hey, if anything, maybe we get some people to look it up. I, I don't know. All right. You said, is this the worst? Uh, and it's it's, it's fine. down there. Um, if we go all the way down. It's not, this is not as bad as the Draco. The Draco is at 521. Um, Holy War is at 5.18. The art in the Draco is worse than this. Yes, it is. And I think what we've argued, even though I have said that I think Phantom X Max is the worst thing that we have ever read uh, for the show, we put the Draco there specifically so we don't have to ever mention it again, even though I just did. So is it worse than holy war i guess is the question that we're asking here because i don't it's definitely not it's definitely worse than nyx in my opinion so it's going to be bottom 5 you know i wanted to argue with that but right above nyx is witchblade wolverine <laughs> and witchblade wolverine is better than this yes it is witchblade wolverine's a terrible incomprehensible story it's also better than this yes um so I would I would put this above Holy War, and here's why. Okay, because I hate Holy War so much. And I think Holy War does more offensive things, and is a absolutely dumber story than this. This is a ripoff of Romeo and Juliet with some weird, creepy stuff about a dude talking about teenagers boning. Which, and I can't believe I'm about to say this line. In Chuck Austin's defense, Shakespeare did first. Like, well, he's just, he's just following the bard on this one. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm just saying, that's if we want to get down to what Romeo and Juliet is, it's also exactly that. In should Chuck Austin be aware of the cultural context of the stories that he's writing in 2004 and how they are different than, uh, I don't know, the 1600s? Yeah, he really should. Um... I also just hate Holy War more, I think. I like I can't I ha- I, I don't know how to explain it. Yeah, I hate it. I think this is worse than Holy War. I think its sins are greater. Um if only because Holy War does some really, really bad stuff, especially in that last page reveal of it the does. female villain supposedly acting based on having been assaulted before and that's just we don't have to say why they can look totally out of bounds uh Uh, this story though zach is creepy central it has got racism in it it has got creepy underage sex stuff which is very creepy uh does have creepy underage sex stuff it is uh just all around a bad 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 thing um and I want to say Holy War's art might be better. Uh-huh. Holy War does have run. Okay, so I think all that stuff we're we're comparing a green piece of poop <laughs> to a red piece of poop. They're both they're both, poop. They're both equally <laughs> they're bad. Both and it's what what color is your favorite? What 
what particular vices do you find more offensive of all of these bad things? Ron Garney art is better than Salvador La Roca art. That, I think, is the objective quantifier that we can put on this list to make She Lies with Angels. Uh, number 519. Oh, God. Please let us take an Austin break. We just did Chuck Austin for the 200th episode. I, I can't with this guy. Like, <laughs> we, can't, um, we gotta have a breather. So, I will say that assuming assuming we don't have any changes, uh, there's a there's an Austin story coming up in the next uh, two months. Okay, so. I, can, I can do that. Got that. Just not next it's, week. It's what I remember being one of the... It's it's only one issue, and I think it's one of the better Chuck Austin okay. stories. Okay. I think it actually has Jean-Paul Leon art rest in peace so we got that going all right that would be helpful um and then i think we've got i think we've got a nice long break from austin though we could change that no uh we could no thank you we could add some no no No. adam i'm just saying (laughs) one of us controls the list (laughs) i could type in this list oh delete things at will you could you could uh but but instead, we're going to go the opposite direction next week and talk about the big blue dad himself, Apocalypse. Aww. Uh, and we're going to talk about we're going to talk about some different stories about some different apocalypses. And uh, there's like there's one story that I don't remember since I first read it. Another story I know is incomprehensible, and another story that I think is good, but then was very much a product of hey, we just need to fill in, and we aren't going to make this matter to anything but we'll deal with that next week lot to digest lot to digest uh but before we digest anything we do need to thank alexander lundquist on patreon for suggesting uh for us to talk about the crucible if you want to be like alexander you can go to patreon.com slash throw a couple of dollars into our coffers and support the quality comic book journalism that i know I know you people crave. <laughs> I know that's that's what you want every day of your life. You want to just num num eat them up. You num num eat it up. <laughs> that's what we can give you. Uh, there's different levels of support. Or throw us over a uh, review on uh, iTunes or anywhere else that you can leave reviews. I don't know. I check the iTunes ones. If you leave me a Stitcher review, I ain't looking at that. <laughs> but someone else might, and that's nice. <laughs> Adam, hi. What do you got going on? Guys, you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy and uh, Zach. What's up with you? I mean, my birthday is in two days while we're recording this, so not recording this, but when people actually listen to it. So mostly, so I still I'm have time I get... to buy you a present. You do, but that'd be weird. Don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. People don't need to buy me things. I'm thirty or forty years old. I do not need this. <laughs> Fair enough. Whatever you want, Mister Zachary. Yeah, people have to call me Mr. once I actually do turn 30. It's going to be upsetting. And there's a lot of people there listening to this, and I know this from experience, that just heard that I'm not 30, and that's upsetting to them. And to them I say, I'm never going to die. I'm young forever. <laughs> I can't say that for myself. Um, we already did the next week part. Yeah. We already did that. So do, we just, do we just end the episode Let's now? Let's just end it. Let's do it. Yeah!